Hey guys, welcome to She Knows Arsenal. My name is Jessica and I'm your host and you can follow me on Twitter at It's Chesinho. So welcome to Catching Up, a segment here on She Knows Arsenal, where I'll be catching up with some of your favorite podcasters and con content creators. So today I'm catching up with Dan and Sean from the Titchy Gooners. I've had them on before, um, but like, you know, different people, you know, involved in that podcast, but I've had them on before. I've been on their show. So I have them here today with me and we'll be catching up with them. And for this for this particular segment, it's going to be the England edition of the show where we'll be discussing England's game against the Czech Republic where they won 1-0, um, Arsenal's British core, and answering the question, how much is too much for um, James Madison and Ben White? So before we get started, I just wanted to thank you all for being here, supporting the channel. We just hit 1,700 subscribers, so thank you so much. And let me know where you're tuning in from. Say hello. Tell us how you're feeling about our star boy, Bakayo Saka, who was named UEFA's star of the match. So I'm going to go ahead and bring in Dan and Sean now. Hey, Dan, how are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, doing even better after see that Man of the Match award for, for Saka. I'm loading up all my agendas, loading up all the Saka propaganda for next season. I'm about to go hard for that boy, man. Yeah. I love it. And Sean, hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, and uh, looking forward to it. Very happy our uh, Starboy showed out. So yeah, more of the same, more of the same. Yeah, for sure. We'll definitely get into it. So let's see what you guys are saying in the chat. See, Wilder says, White, yes. Madison, no. Owen says, Hiya. Hey, how are you? Mike says, Good afternoon, evening, folks. Thank you for being here. Usopp says, hi, everyone. Yep, tons of highs in here. Van, big Bakayo Saka, Starboy, Little Chili, Jewel of Hail End. Yeah, you guys, he was really, really good. So let's go ahead and jump into it. So let's see. Well, there was a lot of madness before the game actually started. So Dan, what did you make of the Twitter kind of uproar before the game about Saka starting over Jaden Sancho? Um, I think it's a it's a funny one, right? Um, I think we saw it earlier in the season with Mason Mount a little bit, where because people's favourites weren't necessarily starting, 
the person that the manager was picking um, was getting some unnecessary stick because the way people are talking, it's like Saka, um, you know, was a scrub. You know, this guy was probably one of the the best teenagers, if not the best teenager in the Premier League. Um, so, you know, he, without Jaden Sancho being there, I think probably warranted a start. Um, but, you know, because of how uh, Sancho has been playing um, in the part, for the past three seasons, to be fair to him, um, you know, he does have that reputation and he, he probably um, has been deserving of a, a few more minutes than what he's getting. But, you know, I think Port is, is, is indicative of a poor manager, you know, not being able to work away for, for the best players to play. Um, I don't see a reason why, um, you know, Sancho couldn't have got more minutes um, today. I don't see why he couldn't have been subbed on for Jack Grealish, why he's not played any minutes in the in the previous two games. Um, and, and this is what it leads to. But, you know, I think Saka more than justified his starting position. Um, I knew he was going to show up. Um, and I'm glad that people were able to watch that, despite of the he- uh, the heavy criticism that he may have come come um, into before the game, to really show people levels that he deserves his starting spot and he deserves to be in that England squad. Yeah, for sure. It just kind of felt like instead of focusing on Southgate, which is perfectly fine, you know, focus on him if, you know, if you have a problem with the selection, but it became more about Saka and his abilities. And I'm just like, it's, it's so not about that. You guys know he's good and set aside your arsenal agendas just for a minute. He's justified his place in this team. He deserves to be there, you know, but Sean, what did you think of his performance? You know, I just, I'm not shocked, you know, other people, other rival fans were like, Oh, Saka, he's so good. It's like, well, yeah, clearly, you know, so how good was he today? Yeah, I, I thought him and Grealish were the best players in the first half. I definitely think Arsenal tax is a thing where people, you know, because where we've had a dreadful season, we finished eighth back to back. So, you know, if we big up our players, some people might look as, as if, you know, why are you guys talking, you know, eighth in successive seasons? But I mean, those of us who watch him week in, week out, um, know how good he is, you know, those periods during like the winter seasons where it was really, really bad. He was the one, you know, digging us out. So I think he's been great. I think he showed, you know, continuously what he can do, you know, stepping into the half spaces, picking up the ball, driving forward, coming in to combine with Grealish, Sterling, Kane. Um, so, you know, he, he combined such a such a nice, well-rounded skill set. Um, he can go inside and outside, you know, for a left footer, he has quite a strong weak foot as well. So that makes him quite unpredictable, quite difficult to defend against. So I thought that was great. I thought that was great from him. Um, you know, and there was a couple of times he got fouled actually as well. So like Grealish, he's very good at attracting defenders to him and spinning away from them as well. So, um, yeah, so I thought he was, him and Grealish were the standouts in the first half as well. So, and it just showed, I think in the previous two games, you know, Foden, who's a fantastic talent, isn't someone who like naturally likes to stretch. Um, Saka's happy to run in behind as well. So I think those differing qualities showed as well in that. And, um, yeah, he's a very aggressive runner with the ball at his feet as well. So um, all stuff we know, but, you know, I guess neutrals, the masses might not be privy to that. So I think he showed out a lot there. And um, I think he's probably given Gareth Southgate food for thought going into the knockout stages now. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about what your guys' predictions are, you know, for England's next game, you know, and who should play behind Harry Kane and if he should even be playing but how, from an Arsenal perspective, how important is it for Saka to play in this competition in the Euros and get some experience playing around better players? You know, at Arsenal, he's one of the best players, but in this England squad, although I think he holds his own, you know, playing with 
you know, Sancho and Grealish and learning things from them, Sterling. How important is that for Bakayo Saka and from an Arsenal perspective for him to get that experience, Dan? Yeah, I think um, probably the tournament experience can't hurt. Um, what it means going deep into into these competitions um, is always helpful, especially when you're you're getting this experience at such a young age. Um, I think it can really help to build that hunger, you know, and desire to to win things. And I think playing around better players as well, um, it allows him to, you know, build those relationships, learn from learn from them as well. Because I think, you know, when you are playing um, with the likes of, you know, necessarily a, a Smith Rowe, um, a, a Martinelli or something like that, they might not have um, the minutes in their legs, um, the XP, the, the, the wherewithal, the gamesmanship that some of the other more experienced players um, might have. And I think, you know, Saka, he's, he's a very, very intelligent lad. And it looks like he's always, always, always willing to learn and add to his game. So I think the, you know, the, the more players, the better players that he is around, the more and more um, we'll see him add to the game and the better he'll he'll become, you know. And I think it should be noted that, you know, he's playing alongside all of these, these better players. They can learn from him as well, you know. Um, Phil Foden, someone who is um, very, very highly rated in England, young player of the year, all this, that and the other. Um, on that right wing, he's not looked as good as Saka did um, on uh, playing there today. You know, Saka picking up the man of the match. As we said, I'm probably going to sneak that in a couple more times um, this podcast as well. So, you know, um, I think they can learn from him, and 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 he can really bounce off bounce off um, these players as well. I think Jack Grealish has always met, has already mentioned how you know Saka's a big personality in that camp. So you know it's 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 all positive for me him being in that England squad and and being able to to perform and play with these guys. Yeah, for sure. So let's just let's get down to it. Who's who starts in their next game? Like who is the front four? Whatever front three. You know decisions have to be made. Like before we even get to Harry Kane who is not great. Like he has not been doing well in this tournament. I think it's safe to say that without somebody coming for my neck, you know, he hasn't been good, but in terms of like, you know, does, does Jack start, does Saka start, does Sancho get his spot? You know, does Rashford didn't really do anything when he came out there either. So if you guys had to choose, you know, the two, maybe cause you know, Southgate will probably go back to like a, maybe like a three, four, three or something. So who, who are the two next to the striker on either side? Well, I'll go to Sean first. Um, yeah, I mean, it depends. It looks like in the build-up games, he kept with the four-two-three-one. So if he does keep with that formation um, and the three behind the striker, I think the three today actually offered the best balance. I know Sterling, a lot of people are down on him. You know, he's been in, in different form this season, but he's one of the ones who always stretches in behind. So I, I, I don't get why people are so down. I know his finishing can be a bit profligate at times, but he's always running in behind, do you know what I mean? And you need that to stretch teams. And that's why I kind of feel like, you know, sometimes, you know, people are clamouring for all of Foden, um, Grealish, uh, Malm, all of these guys to play at the same time, but they're all ball to feet players, do you know what I mean? So it sometimes it can become a bit too predictable. And especially with Kane dropping deep, which is pissing everybody off, like you need someone who's able to push forward a bit and stretch in behind. That's why I like Saka, that's why I like Sterling as well. So adds that layer of unpredictability. So if it was me, I would be tempted to go with that three behind the striker again. But it may also be difficult because likelihood is that we're going to be playing one of Portugal, France or Germany. Um, so he might look to go with a three in the midfield. Um, so it's really hard to say. I would assume Sterling will start because he started every single game so far. And he's looked the most likely to score, to be fair, as well. So 
Um, I'm going to be biased to keep my Arsenal hat on and I say Saka should start. <laughs> I mean, you can't really like say that he can't, he's not in the mix. Like he looked really good today and he played well with Sterling. You know, he looked comfortable there. Whereas like, you know, the other players haven't really looked that comfortable. Dan, do you feel kind of like similarly, or do you think maybe somebody else should play on that right-hand side? Um, no, so we had a little chat about this in the Touchy Gooners um, group chat. And I do actually think that for the way England play, um, Saka might actually be the best option for that right wing spot. Um, just in terms of the fact that they want you, it seems that Southgate wants his right winger to isolate that left back, go at him one on one, and then come inside, maybe go on the outside uh, for some combinations that we've seen Foden try it. Um, and it's not really work other than, you know, the first five minutes of that match against Croatia when he had that shot. He's been very, very quiet um, on that right-hand side. Um, and I think Tierney and uh, Robertson were able to keep him very, very quiet in that second game. So um, I think Saka's done more than enough to keep his spot on that right-hand side. Um, I do think with Kane playing up top that some either Sterling or Rashford needs to play. I think Sterling with his two goals so far um, has has made that spot um, his own because he, he he likes to run in behind, gets into those scoring positions whilst Kane um, drops out of the box. Um, and then for me, Jack Grealish is England's best number 10 option. So um, I agree with Sean and say that that uh, front four should remain the same. Um, if he did want to mix it up and do something a bit different, um, I would consider playing um, a Calvert-Lewin up front and be that folk. And so he can be that focal point um, in the box and then bringing in Sancho to maybe play on the left or play in number 10 um, for for uh, Grealish or, or Sterling. So um, for me, I think Saka is actually England's best option on that right wing. You can call it bias, but um, I just think that's, that's a, it, that he suits that position for England. Um, but, but yeah, I would go with the same, same front four. It's about chemistry too. Like I think a lot of people just look at how many, you know, what team does this player play for? What are their accolades? Like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But none of that really matters if those pieces don't go together. And you can't really deny that the players that played today, especially the ones who started, really look natural together. And that that makes a huge difference in my mind. You know, maybe Southgate will look at that too and say like, this just felt the most natural and that's what you should go for. But how far can England go? Like in your guys's opinion, like, you know, you already said that they, you know, they'd probably be playing a really difficult team in the next round, you know, is, is Southgate a hindrance? Like, is he going to, you know, I hear a lot of people saying like, he's going to be the person to keep England back, you know, Sean, for you, how far can this England team go in this competition? Um, I feel <laughs> like if they meet Germany or France in the next round, they could very, very, very much be out, which which is a shame because I actually think England have a very, very talented squad. It's very top heavy, loads of really, really good attackers. But I feel like England have done a great job in terms of their youth development over like the last 10 years. But, you know, one of the bad sides to England is that we just England don't produce a lot of very good coaches um I think I'm right in saying that an English coach has never won the Premier League so <laughs> I think they're like the evidence is there as well and I just look when you watch England in comparison to say Italy or Holland like who you see in this tournament the patterns of play offensively it doesn't look great we're not able to build sustain pressure when England have good periods it's for like a 10-15 minute period and then like it cools off um which is a shame because I feel like they have 
the personnel and the different sort of profiles to be a really good possession dominant heavy team um, who can press and you know keep teams boxed in but we just don't really see it um, obviously Southgate's often been described as quite a a pragmatist as well and, and you can see it in terms of his approach at times you know with the rice and phillips approach could you get someone else a bit more maybe progressive in the pivot in, instead of one of those two so yeah i feel like there's a bit more he could do but at the same time maybe balancing it you know sometimes the teams that play the best football don't always win in international tournaments the most important thing is just to win and the result so um but just to answer your question yeah i don't think they're gonna win i feel like yeah i feel like if they play france or germany next i think they're, they're going home which is a shame because it'd be great to see it come home uh, as we say here but yeah i don't think it's coming home so yeah dan do you think differently or you think the <laughs> the end is near yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. It all depends on the draw. You know, I think in the World Cup, you saw them get a really good draw um, and they went far. Um, so if they do get another favourable draw, then, then you know, why not? Because um, they do have uh, they do have the quality. Um, I think they need to hope for um, Portugal um, in the next round. I think that's the, the, the team that they are the most likely to beat out of France, Germany and Portugal. Um, I don't think Portugal have looked too impressive um, with their build-up. They, they have pretty similar issues to England in the sense that they've got a lot of attacking talent, but the manager seems um, quite insistent on playing um, very defensively uh, with their two uh, defensive midfielders playing there. And they've got a very, very old um, back line um, other than well, Ruben Diaz. So um, I think that, you know, if they get Portugal, it's a 50-50 game for me. Um, whereas if it's France or Germany, then I think, you know, those two will probably be favourites to beat England. And I wouldn't really bank on England having enough um, to get to get over the line in those games. So, yeah, I'm just hoping for a favourable draw and we get to see more of um, Saka. Yeah, for sure. And so just before we get off of this subject and, and start to talk about, you know, Arsenal specifically, what have you guys made of like the whole Harry Kane kind of like starting his transfer saga before the Euro started? You know, Man City may or may not have put in a bid for him already. What do you guys think about that? Like, is City a, the right choice for him? Would you be happy to see Spurs go through some more turmoil? I mean, I'm very much so enjoying their inability to get a manager and just figure this out. I mean, we went through hell thinking Aubameyang wanted to leave like that one summer. So this has to be hell for them. I mean, but the difference is they'd probably get a hundred million for Harry Kane, whereas we probably would have got like what 20 for Aubameyang, you know? So what do you guys think about it just in general? I'll let Sean go first. Yeah. I, I, if, if that hundred million pound bid plus potential players is included, I would be so tempted to sell. Like I just feel like the position Spurs are in, um, I just feel it's a good option to take. Like, I have to be totally honest. I've been so massively underwhelmed with Harry Kane this tournament. Like I just, mm. you know, sometimes you need to appreciate what the team you have around you is. And like, you know, in terms of the profiles around you at Spurs, there's not that many creators. So obviously he drops in deep to sort of like a nine and a half row and feeds like Son or like Bergwijn running in behind uh, or Bale. Like this is a very, very different. You're, there's loads of number 10s for England. Do you know what I mean? They all want to play in the half spaces pockets. So really and truthfully, all England need is a foil to play from a proper number nine. So even though he's not as good as Kane, DCL probably, um, Dominic Carver-Lewin probably suits more. Do you know what I mean? Because he's a 
he's um he's a profile to build from whereas Kane for some reason he now sees himself as a playmaker as well which is proper proper annoying and um do you know what I mean so like just get your backside in the box like your job is to score like do you know what I mean and there's enough creators around that will feed you and get and get to you, you we don't need you doing that do you know what I mean so when you see him popping up on the left wing um trying to do his best Karim Benzema impression it's really not just like washing with me please just get your backside in the box but um so with that said it's crazy that for me that Pep's interested but if I was Spurs mm-hmm. yeah, like say 100 million plus a player I think you could really they could really do like obviously I hope they don't I hope they crash and burn but um like you could go and put that money on like an Alexander Isak or um what's that Fiorentina striker the Vlahovic as well so you could proper go and use that money intelligently um go and replace Kane for at least half of the price maybe even less and then spend it on another two three positions um whether they choose to do that or not but I think that would be a smart squad building um strategy especially as Kane is now you know getting on to 28 his ankles look like they're collapsing every season so um I think it's a great opportunity for them whether they do that or not um and you know you know how tough um Daniel Levy is to negotiate with um but yeah I think they've got a real opportunity here Dan, if you're Spurs and they offer you the hundred million, right? But then they also are offering you Laporte or Gabriel Jesus, and you have to choose one of those. Which one would you choose? If I'm Spurs, um, yeah, I'm I'm probably going to go for Laporte. Um, I think centre back has been a major, major issue um, for for Tottenham. For a, num- for a couple of seasons, you know, when you've seen uh, Vertonghen and Alderweireld um, pretty much in their last legs, Davinson Sanchez, um, a walking, talking mistake on, on on legs, you know. So um, I think centre back is is a massive is a massive massive problem for them. If you get someone of the quality of Laporte, um, that solves a, a a big big issue. Not only can he play out the back, um, he's a better defender than anyone I think they have there currently. And then you have 100 million in cash that you can go and spend on other areas. So we're we're, we're looking at that um, Alexander Isak, you know, for um, Sweden. You look at Vlahovic in in uh, Italy. That I think uh, Sean's a big fan of as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you lose out. Kane, you have to bring a creative midfielder as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, they can they can go and spend that that money on a couple of positions, you know. So um, for me, Ugh. that that offer seems like a complete no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. If if Daniel Levy rejects that, then you know I don't know um, if City would come back in with a better offer because for me um, they could go and give that offer to Dortmund for Haaland. I think Dortmund would be quick to to probably accept that one. So mm-hmm. um, it's or a, they it's, that money to Aston Villa and just bring in Jack Grealish. I mean, you know, so um, so I I think I think Levy if they're trying to do that rebuild. Um, they need to go look at what Liverpool did when they sold Coutinho um, and try and do something similar there. But, you know, looking at Spurs' transfer dealings, if I was a Spurs fan, um, thank God I'm not, um, I would be quite worried about giving Levy or whoever else um, a lot of money to spend. So we saw what they did with Gareth Bell um, when they got that money in. They spent it terribly. And I think if you look at their transfer dealings, maybe the past six seven or eight years, I think maybe you could say they've had four or five good signings in that time. You know, Son, Adverald, Fatongan. Um, outside of that, I think all of their signings have pretty much been duds um, for the past eight years. So, you know, um, 
it's it's music to my ears as an Arsenal fan. I hope they take the deal. Um, Kane Kane leaving them would be fantastic. It makes those North London derbies a lot less scary. Um, so yeah, I'm loving them like in capitulation. Like I'm I'm living for this. Like I want it to continue the entire summer. Like please keep going. But let's talk about Smith Rowe. You know, we've already kind of talked about Saka. We talk about him all the time. He's already pretty much been established for the last like year or so. But Smith Rowe, you know, um, he's he's getting looks from other teams like Aston Villa, who is now like my main enemy. I can't stand them um, as a natural replacement for Jack Grealish. Um, should he leave? So, Sean, what did you make of his breakout season at Arsenal? Like, were you surprised that he had such a you know, um, a huge effect on the team post-Boxing Day? Uh, I'm not. Um, as Dan will be able to attest to, I I was, have been calling for Emil smith for a very long time, so I've had stocks placed in him for a very long time. So when he came in and did what he did from Boxing Day onwards, I was very, very happy. Um, and I think he still has a long, long way to go. So I'm, I'm really pleased with his contribution. I think the next step for him is to be a bit more of a direct threat through goals himself which I think he can um, do so and especially with only one game a week next season which I think will probably suit him as he's still growing into his body so I love him it's making me sick that Aston Villa (laughs) bid for him and supposedly are preparing another bid I think that looks we've spoken in our group about optics that doesn't reflect well on Arsenal but um, so I just hope whatever they're doing I think it might be a ploy from an agent to try and get more money um, in his deal you know we saw how long the Saka deal took to come to fruition, the Balogun deal took to come to fruition as well. So I think these obviously youngsters want to be paid accordingly and that's and that's fine. It is what it is. Um, I think it would look really bad if we lost one of our jewels in the crown. So um, whatever it takes, uh, hopefully, obviously not taking the PIWS, but hopefully just um, a, de- a decent deal, which, you know, um, affirms his status to us as, a, as an important first team player going forward. So, yeah, I think um, we, we need to invest in him in addition to obviously all the other positions that we're hopefully strengthening this summer too. Yeah, 100%, you know, and one of the the things that I've been really thinking about in terms of like, you know, especially but Kyle Saka and and Emil Smith-Rowe is making sure that there's good players in and around them to make sure that they, you know, get the right type of rotation, but also learn from better players. I don't think they're in the right environment to really, you know, take, go to that next step, but Dan, for you, is is Emil Smith Rowe ready to step in and be that number one, number ten for us? Like I've always felt like we needed a ten that can give us ten goals and ten assists, and I'm not really convinced that he's ready for that. But what are your thoughts on it? You know what? It's it's interesting, right? Because um, I know people have been talking about the numbers, and I think even Arteta mentioned um, when he when he did score his his first prem goal that you know we needed to see a bit more of that. Um, from Smith Rowe, but um, I was looking at his numbers. So I think in in something like 20, 20 something appearances, it was four goals, um, seven assists, all competitions, um, and I think it was five assists. Five of those assists were in the prem, um, and and yeah, two 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 goals in the prem, um, and and five assists. So and that's that's in playing from Christmas, you know. So um, for me, I think he he can explode. And um, I think he's ready to explode. I'll, I'll be very, very surprised if he doesn't um, give us double figures in assists next season, um, if he plays um, most of the games. Because for me, um, he does create a lot of chances um, and he does get into a lot of scoring positions. I think um, it, it, it's just a matter of time 
um, for me. I do think he can be that player. Um, and it always surprises me when, you know, I see all these lineups um, for for next season and he's not in there because I think what we've seen is that, you know, even when we bring in Odegaard, um, we bring in other players, talk about other players. Smith Rowe's always in that starting lineup, whether that whether he's in the 10 or whether he's on the left. And I think that's because the manager really rates his quality. Um, and I think it's probably because of how understated he is on the pitch. He he doesn't, you know, necessarily spend a lot of time on the ball, but everything I think he does, he does with purpose and he does with um impact. Right. So he always, always, always impacts the game and he always looks after possession of the ball. So um for me, I think he's gonna play a lot of football next year. Um and I think he's gonna put up um a lot of numbers. I think people are really sleeping on his um output um that that he's done so far. And I think um he can go up a level. I think, you know, this season we didn't really create a lot of chances, but if we somehow get those not those chance creation numbers up, create more big chances, um, create more chances, take more shots as a team, um, I think he'll be one to really benefit. I, I sorry if I could just yeah, I, I I agree with Dan as well. And I feel like, you know, one of the things about, you know, people doing their perspective, like you said, perspective elevens is that ESR gets pushed out the side. But you've seen with Arteta is that when Emil Smith-Rowe is fit, he basically plays, whether that's as a 10 or from the left, you know, uh, you know, from the left, he he can be sort of a ball handler, like, you know, how we had before with like Nasri, Rizitsky, Pires, that type coming in off the left, um, coming in to combine, you know, um, offering themselves as another technical security option. So um, whether he is, and, you know, what I like about Smith-Rowe as well, he's another one that can carry the ball quite long distances as well. I think his speed and acceleration is is slightly underrated as well. So um, I would expect him to still actually start regardless of, of if we sign an, another 10 or not. So, um, and I'd be quite comfortable with him, him going from the left as well. I think, you know, a lot of people put in Pepe in their prospective 11s next season. I'm not convinced if everybody's fit that Pepe will be the starter. Um, I think ESR will still start regardless. Yeah, it's just so it's interesting because we all have different ways of like what we think about the team. I think some people are like, well, if you sit Pepe down now, what are you going to get from him? Because we know once he sits out for a little bit, it takes him a while to get back in. But my we know Bakayo Saka is going to start if he's fit. We know that. And Arteta likes to play with inverted, you know, wide forwards, you know, so that doesn't really add up to Pepe playing on that left-hand side. It just doesn't. And Smith Rowe fits there. He plays really well. And I think he helps Tierney a lot more than Pepe would. And that's important. But I still think that we need another number 10, not just because I think Smith Rowe needs somebody else to kind of learn from and grow and all that kind of stuff. But we need good competition within the squad. And if for some reason Emil Smith Rowe got injured, we would it would be not, I don't think that would be good for us. You know, it's, there's nobody else that can really play there. I know Saka can fill in, but I would like to see another number 10 come in, you know, just in case, but Dan, for you, how far can Smith Rowe go? You know, is he somebody that we could look at maybe in a year or so and he would be in the England squad. I know that position and the number 10 is pretty, you know, England's pretty stacked there, but Emil Smith Rowe adds something a little bit different. Yeah. So it's a funny one. Um, Cause I do think, England are very, very stacked in number 10. Um, James Madison, who we're trying to buy for £60 million, apparently, he can't get um, any England caps. So it's a difficult one because 
you know, even in that under 21 age group, you've got the likes of um, Eze, Curtis Jones, etc., that are probably pushing um, that top group for England caps as well. So um, for me, I think Smith Rowe's definitely good enough to play to play for England eventually. Um, he'll, I, I predict that by the end of next season, he probably will be um, in that conversation for um, for for England caps, maybe potentially being in that Qatar squad. But um, it's a very very difficult um, position. It's probably England's most stacked position um, at the moment. It probably benefits Smith Rowe that he can play out on the left there as well. So you know, when he puts up that ten ten in the league, um, he'll be there. He'll be there. I said when, not if, as well. <laughs> I love it. We're so confident. I love it. But we should be because those our players are really good. Like they just don't get the same praise because they play for Arsenal. I feel like there's an agenda. I really do. Not even I got my little tinfoil hat on my conspiracy theories. Everybody hates Arsenal. <laughs> like, come on. There's about 45 of you guys watching right now. Make sure you like the video and subscribe to the channel. And so, you know, just moving away from Emil Smith-Rowe, let's talk about somebody else that had a breakout season, but somewhere else in, in Willick. You know, he really broke out after he he left Arsenal to go on loan to Newcastle and scored a ton of goals. You know, I just didn't see that coming. You know, Sean, were you surprised that Willick had such a good season or half a season at Newcastle? Uh, I, I was... Um... I was shocked at the number of goals he had uh, because at the end of the day, and I think what he was doing is not sustainable. That's not to take it away from him because it was a fantastic achievement. And he won, I believe, the Premier League Player of the Month for May, didn't he, as well? So um, you have to very much give him his props for that. Um, it's it, it's a tough one with him because the way he likes to play in terms of, you know, arriving late in the box, it kind of suits Newcastle, who are quite a reactive team, who don't play with a lot of possession. Um, so when he gets the ball, he's able to spring forward in, into space where I guess at Arsenal, we tend to dominate a lot more of the ball. So there's not a lot of that space to run into or those positions to pick up and ghost into into the box. And, you know, in Arteta's 4-2-3-1, he likes to pivot to more often than not play behind the ball. So um, the 10 is tasked with, you know, picking up spaces in, in the heart, in, in the pockets. And that's not necessarily Willett's game. We saw when he was tried with it, you know, in the winter months, he didn't really thrive as much. He did okay in the Europa League, but it didn't really translate into the league. And obviously we like our 10 to be someone who connects the play, but who's also, um, you know, feeding passes in, in behind the defence. And so it, it's unfortunate for him. I feel like he would be a midfielder if Arteta wanted to switch to a 4-3-3. There'd be more of a space for him. But in its in this current iteration, um, it's probably not going to work for him. So for, if we did get a thirty million pound bid from Newcastle, I think we should bite their hands off. Um, it's a shame because I actually think that there is stuff to work with with him. But you know, sometimes it's just not necessarily a great fit. It's also unfortunate for him actually is that ESR coming into the team coincided with Willock going out, and pretty much that was you know I feel like there's probably not room for both of them unless it is a four three three. So it will probably be ESR who wins out. And um, that's probably, I think, the end of Willock, I'd say. Dan, keep or sell Willock? What do you think? Keep or sell? Loan? What do you think? Um, I think in an ideal world, maybe if we weren't finishing eighth, um, we were a consistent top four team, um, didn't need to rebuild, um, I would say give him another loan, um, maybe to a team that plays... Um, in a similar style to Arsenal, see what he can do over a prolonged season um, and then make a decision on him. But I think where we are now, um, where the team's trying to go, um, 
he needs to know that he's going to play um, a lot of minutes next season. And I think it's important that we do right by the player as well as right by the, the rest of the team. So, you know, if there's a club willing to to give us good money for him um, and good money, I think is £30 million and upwards, then um, take the money, let him go and play. Um, and then maybe insert a buyback clause or something like that um, in there so that, you know, if he is looking good, he can come back and do it in the in the red and white. Um, for me, I think we do have very, very, very talented um, academy products, right? And, you know, people were quite down on Willock. Um, they're, they're down on play, players like uh, Nketiah, down on Reese Nelson. But we don't really get a chance to see what these guys can do um, because the pressure at Arsenal, we can't afford to just let them play and make their mistakes and do this, that and the other um, on the pitch for us. So, you know, we need to get, we need to, I think we need to get better at loans um, and give these guys lots of minutes because you look at someone like Mason Mount, um, by contrast to Willock, uh, he went out on loan to um, the Netherlands, uh, then to Derby before he'd played a single minute in the Chelsea first team. And from then, you know, he's made his mistakes elsewhere. He's learned about the game. He's had over, I think, 100 appearances uh, playing first team football before he's put on the blue of Chelsea. Um, same with Tammy Abraham, same with Reese James. Um, and then these guys are able to be rotated in without having much responsibility uh, when they're playing against Chelsea. Whereas with Willock uh, and Ketia Nelson, their, their loans really haven't been very successful um, other than Willock. Uh, they've not played a lot of football. So when they do play, um, they look very raw. They look very um, not ready uh, and, and fans get on their back. So for me, I think Willock has shown that he is more than good enough to play at the Premier League level. Um, but question marks over whether or not he fits in the style of play. I don't think we even know what the style of play is going to be um, next year, 4-3-3, 4 3 3 4 2 3 one um, and I don't think that's the best environment for someone like Willock at this stage in his career. So I would sell him um, for a, a good fee. If we're not getting thirty million pound for him, though, um, I would, I would, I would uh, probably let him let him stay. So you guys are turning down this potential proposal from Newcastle for you know some cash and Freddie Woodman, their goalkeeper. Y'all turning that down? Yeah. How much is the cash? <laughs> I have honestly I have no idea. They didn't say like the cash amount. And I was like, if the cash amount is not like at least 20 something, then it doesn't if, really fit, you know? Who is because this it, Yeah, I guess it all depends how much is he valued at. Do you know what I mean? Freddie Woodman, because that, that would then determine how much they're going to offer for Willock as well. I mean, generally speaking, I only really want us to buy Onana, like other than that, yeah. like, the other goalkeepers I've been linked with like definitely not Ramsdale that's hella uninspiring um uh, yeah I don't I don't know much about Freddie Woodman although I think I've heard his his dad is a goalkeeping coach at Arsenal I think I think I've heard oh, about yeah. that so, so so that might feed into the links of why he's been linked to Arsenal so um, 11 million by the way that's in this, dollars so that'd be like less in euros right yeah, they're in yeah, pounds. Okay. Yeah, so. yeah, so twenty mil plus Woodman, maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe. If, that, if that second goalkeeper, like literally, it has to be, you know, in like a like a British goalkeeper, like then fine, yeah. like you know. But yeah, yeah. we seem very like desperate to do it, and I'm just like, well, you know, if they can give you twenty something for Willick, and then give you that goalkeeper, and it'll stop us from paying twenty for 
I don't think the fan base will survive 20 million for Ramsdale. I just, <laughs> the, the way it was met with such like, no, no, how can you, you know? And I just, I've seen him play a couple of times. I don't think he's that great, but I mean, is it an overreaction or? No, I, I, I literally think he's the worst. I think he's the worst goalkeeper in the league. Like that's why I don't understand how he's costing twenty mil <laughs> because he's been relegated in successive seasons. Like I just watch him. I think he's conceded over a hundred goals uh, the past two seasons. You know, he's a oh, okay. he's a mess. He's a mess of a goalkeeper. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, it seems like the club is really desperate for like this this number two goalkeeper to be English and. You know, I like Onana. I think that's who we should go for and maybe move on from Leno at some point, either, you know, at the end of the summer or, you know, next season or whatever. But the goalkeeper situation at Arsenal is a never ending mess. Also, like center backs, like it just feels like we spend so much time on those two positions. And I kind of want us to just move on. It's just a little bit of a lot for me. But, you know, we kind of talked about loans and um, the fact that we could probably use them a little bit better. And, when I think about that, I think about Reese Nelson because he had a pretty decent loan, you know, at Hoffenheim that got cut short because of whatever reason, you know, and then he comes back to Arsenal and he just hasn't really hit the heights I think people expect of him. I think he's the most talented out of a lot of the players that came out in his in his year. Like a lot of people talked about him being like just as good, if not better than Jaden Sancho. Now we're looking at him and like people have forgotten he's even in the squad. Like he wasn't even making squads like towards the end of the season. And we know that William was playing over him for the entire season. You know, he's getting interest from Bundesliga teams and Olympiacos, you know, teams that are really interested in him. So do you think, you know, Dan, I'll let you go first. Like, do you think Reese Nelson would benefit from a loan versus like just selling him? Cause really his value is, it's quite low. It's like 10 million or something like that. And I personally think we could get more if we loan him out. Um, I think he's got, he's got two years left on his deal. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we've seen with the Willock situation that um, if that loan goes well, then you can really increase his value. Um, and I'm just thinking now, like what would we get for him now with two years left? I'm not sure we'd get, you know, very, very much. He's played, what, like maybe four times or something this season. Um, so I don't think his value can get any lower. Um, so I, I personally would loan him, loan him again um, because getting five million for him now or five million for him in, for him in a year's time, if that loan doesn't go well, um, doesn't really, you know, make a big difference for me. I think there's only upside uh, from, from loaning them out. I think it's... Um, it's a funny one because I don't know why he didn't move on loan um, in January um, or in the summer uh, before, because I think you saw it um, with Willock as well, that the moment that opportunity came up for him to go out and play, he was there. He was willing. He, he, he went to Newcastle and he played um, and played his heart out, you know, and it doesn't seem that Nelson has that same um, sort of desire to really get the minute. So I don't know what's happened um, behind the scenes, because when Arteta first came in, I think Nelson started his first match um, against Chelsea at home, um, and he played he played okay, uh, and and that was someone who he really really talked up and and rated. So for that situation to completely flip, I mean, not we've literally not seen him since November. Um, you know, it seems like something's gone on behind the scenes. So you know, I just hope that he he, he is still motivated to sort of make a career for himself. Um, and 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 fingers crossed that we we get to see him playing football um, 
sometime soon. Sean, what are your thoughts on Nelson? Like, would you loan him? Would you just sell him now? It's just such a shame because I just feel like there's something there and maybe I shouldn't be holding on to it, but I think he's just too good to just let him just walk away for like five million. No, no, I agree with you. I'm well, I'm biased. I'm a Nelson Stan, so I, I, I really <laughs> like him. I've, I've always been, and he's another one. I thought like, yeah, William being the dreadful signing that it was is pretty much just taking all minutes away from him. Um, he has a lot of talent, in my opinion. I, I like. I'm gonna. I don't even think the talent is that lower below like a Saka or, or an ESR. I think his main issues are probably mental and um, you know a lack of application, probably because as Dan said, when Arteta first came in, that looked almost as if that was going to be his pet project. You know, like a sort of Sterling that he was going to try and. And I still think he's got a lot of ability. I feel like his development would have been better served. You know. Like you said, not not giving it to Willian. Um, although at the same time, like I agree, I, I don't get why he didn't go on loan, especially mm-hmm. the second half of the season. It just made no sense. Me, the sentimental person that I am, I would keep him and I would say go on a loan, try and renew the contract. But, you know, at some stage, you can only help a player as much as they're trying to help themselves. So if he's not in any form of consideration, then you, you might have to question whether he's doing enough himself. So... Um, it's a short, it's a bit of a waffle of saying, yeah, just send him on loan <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully yeah. we can still um, keep value for him. So, yeah. Yeah. For, it's like, it's another one of those really weird situations that have happened pretty much since Arteta has been here. You know, you can like the curious case of Reese Nelson, the curious case of Saliba, these, these weird situations where it's just like up and down and it's just a little bit like, can we just straighten everything out so that we know what's going on? I know Arsenal fans, we tend to be a little bit more involved in every single thing the club is doing, but I think there's distrust there. And I don't necessarily feel like Reese Nelson was mistreated by Arteta. I just, something is not there. And I think he should have went on loan, but hopefully they can figure something out and maybe try to extend him or something before he goes on on his loan, do something to try to, you know, salvage this in some way, you know, but two other players that we can kind of talk to or talk to talk about together is Ainsley Maitland-Niles and, you know, and Ketia are these players that, you know, Danny had kind of already spoken about this, like kind of a little bit, you touched on the kind of like the iceberg of it or the tip, but are these players that we should have moved on like a little bit sooner? You know, for me, I'm like, I'm, we didn't really see a lot of them, but at the same time, there were potential moves that maybe they could have made. Um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles last summer, maybe going to Wolves and Enketia in January where, you know, Arteta was like, oh, we cannot sell Enketia only for him, like, not to play at all. Like, is Arsenal too slow to move players on or to make decisions on players for loans and things like that? Is that something that the club needs to get better at? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a funny one um, because at the start of the season, there was, or the start of the summer, there was talk of um, Maitland-Niles wanting out of the club, um, you know, he then plays in the FA Cup semi and final. Um, says he's he's happy to stay, etc. Arteta talks about talks him up and says, you know, this was a guy that's very important to us, um, etc. He stays, and then the moment the window shuts, I don't think he started a Premier League game for you know two or three months. Um, so that's a that's a very strange situation there. Um, and I think there's talk about you know him not wanting to play right back. 
Um, we see that from the loans uh, that he, he he didn't want to go to Southampton, didn't want to go to Leicester because they were going to view him as um, a fullback as well. So then he ended up going to West Brom. And I think in that situation, um, that's the player probably taking responsibility of his career, saying, I don't want to be a fullback. I want to play centre mid. I'm only going to play um, centre mid. So, you know, he's had over 100 appearances for Arsenal Um both uh, all, all, all over the place, playing right back, playing centre mid, playing left back, wing, right wing back, all of this stuff. So um, I think we've seen a lot of Maitland-Niles. So if we were to move him on now, um, I wouldn't be too bothered by that. Um, I do think it's strange that, you know, um, we, we've we kept him as long um, as we had, considering that he is someone who has wanted out um, in the past. And then Inketia, the Inketia one, I think he's very, very weird um, as well. Um, I think last summer would have been the perfect time to move him on um, because for me, um, the loan at Leeds, unfortunately, he didn't get a lot of minutes. We played him quite a bit second half of last season, um, rotating him with Lacazette. Um, and I don't think he pulled up any trees. Um, I'm not too down on, on Nketiah um, because, again, for me, I think he just needs minutes, uh, consistent minutes. You know, people, um, I think, are quite harsh on him when, you know, he, he basically only plays the Europa League um, and then a, a Premier League game, you know, once every three or four weeks, if that. Um, but they expect him to be sharp and being able to link play and being able to shoot and get shots off and this and, and that kind of thing. And I don't think football um, works like that, especially for a striker. So him like Willock, I would have liked to see go on a good loan, get trusted with minutes, consistent minutes, so that we, can, we could actually have a look at him and see what he could do at Premier League level. Um, and if he's not going to be able to do that at Arsenal, then I think it's time for him to move on. Um, I think his stock was probably highest in, in January. Um, and that would have been the perfect time, you know, when West Ham were apparently sniffing to accept, you know, 15, 20 million pound um, bid for him um, with 18 months left of his contract. So um, for me, I would move him on this summer. I'll take the 15 million pound if someone's um, willing willing to pay it and then um, and, and, and wish him all the best personally. I do think he can be a good Premier League um, player, but I'm not sure that his game is sort of rounded enough to do it um, at Arsenal. So. I mean, he's, it's so, because, so we offered him a new deal or like a new contract or something like that, an extension. And if I'm in Ketty, I'm not signing that. Like, I'm not signing it. I'm, I'm getting out, you know, I'm doing my thing, you know. So hopefully, like, I would, like you, I'd like to see him just kind of be moved on now, just kind of move on. Maybe you can use him as like a, you know, a make weight or something like that, you know, for, um, you can just use him in a deal for like maybe somebody like Basuma or I, cause I think in if we created more chances would do better, but because our center forward needs to be so involved in build up, he's missing that part. But if he just needs to stand in the box and like sniff out chances, he can do that. And he can do that at like a, a Brighton or a Brentford or one of these types of places, you know? So I don't know, we'll see what happens with him, but mm, let's talk about another striker. Let's talk about Balogun. You know, that's somebody that people are really excited about. I'm excited about him as well. I think he's like, you know, a good player. I'm glad we got him on a new deal. But um, are you guys comfortable with relying on him if we lose Lacazette? You know, am I the only one that has like a little bit of reluctance to put so much pressure on somebody so young? 
because there's a large part of the fan base that feels like we don't need a striker if Lacazette goes. And I am not really in the same camp. Sean, what do you think? Uh, sorry, yeah, I'm not on your side on this one. Um, I tend to be to be on that side of it just because we're, we're entering a season now where we're only playing one game a week. So I feel like, you know, this is going to be a season where you can probably settle on a more consistent lineup. You know, the periods of recovery are a lot longer, seven-day recovery, do you know what I mean? So there's not going to be that sort of need for heavy rotation. Um, so I just feel like establish what we want to do um, get some continuity because one of my things with Arteta that frustrates me is that the lineup changes a lot and I feel like it's hard to establish consistency of results when you don't have consistency of selection as well so con continuous changes I don't think help so I feel like yeah I'd, I'd be happy with with him obviously I know that is a bit of a risk because you know you've gone from um, Aubameyang to um, just yeah having an academy striker but I feel like the the where we are, we're not a team that can afford to have like 110 million of striking talent. Do you know what I mean? Just because we've got so many holes in the team that we need to just be more efficient in terms of our use of our resources. So the fact of the matter, if you think back to we bought Lacazette for 52 million pounds, and then six months later we went and spent 60 mil on Aubameyang. That's just very poor squad planning. If Lacazette was who he was supposed to be, we would never have gone and spent that money on Aubameyang. So I just feel like, for example, choose your poison, whichever one you want. I'm, I'm not overly fussed. Obviously for me, it would be Aubameyang and then, you know, build around him, make sure the team is geared to creating chances for him and then have like, yeah, a, just a, a, a younger backup. I would give, you know, sort of the cup, the league cup, the FA cup games to him and just make sure we, we wrap everybody fresh. Like I said, we're entering a season now where we don't have, we're probably going to be playing 10, 15 games less. Um, so there's going to be a lot less of Arsenal next season as well. So I feel like we can just flog our first team as much as possible. Like, so I'm not. I don't think it would be a big, big loss. Obviously, I, I get why. I get why people would say that. But yeah, just I feel like we can afford to have a shorter, a smaller, but a squad filled with a lot more quality next season. So that's how I would tend to look at it. Okay, Dan, do you agree with me or do you agree with Sean about this? <laughs> like. I just don't know if Balogun I, – I, it's not so much that I don't think Balogun is good enough. I'm just like, if we get to a point and Aubameyang's doing what he did last season, which, you know, could very well happen, I don't think it's so much that all these things were happening. I just don't think the system fits him anymore. That's a personal thing. So if he's still doing that and then Balogun is coming in, if he's doing what young players do, they're inconsistent. I mean, am I wrong to think that the Arsenal fan base is going to be wanting a striker by January? Where do you sit on this whole thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, right? Because say, you know, Balogun is good enough um, and we've sent him out on loan um, and Aubameyang is doing what you've said, you know, then, and, and you've brought in another striker to be your backup. You're then sort of kicking yourself because you're saying, well, we didn't need to spend all this money because this guy's shooting on loan and he could be shooting for us. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, um, as you said, Balogun might be inconsistent um, and it's a lot of faith to, to, to place in him. So it is, a, it is definitely a difficult one. It's a difficult one. So I, I see both sides of it. Um, for me, um, as I mentioned with, you know, some of the Chelsea players, I think it's best that these guys play a lot of minutes whilst they're young to get that experience so that when they come into the Arsenal team, that we know that they're ready and there's less pressure on them um, because, you know, they're confident in their own abilities. I think um, 
you know, Tammy Abraham and Eddie Nketiah could have had very, very similar careers if Nketiah had spent two years in a championship scoring, you know, um, 40 goals. Um, I don't think they're that that different um, player-wise and, and ability-wise. But um, when, you know, someone like Balogun does show up and he signed his contract and he wants to play, um, I would give him that number two spot. I think um, let's lean into him. Let's see what he can do. Um, and then if, you know, it's, it's a sink or swim. It's a sink or swim situation. Um, if we can get him 15 to 20 games, um, all competitions next season, then I'll do it. If we don't think that's possible, um, then I'd loan him out. Because um, for him, it's all about, um, it's all about playing. Um, at that age, it's all about playing. It's not about, you know, contributing, getting us back into top four, this, that and the other. It's about getting the minutes in his legs. Um, and so uh, I think that's the most uh, important thing. Yeah, you guys, I just don't know. I think this is the one I need to, I'm going to stand firm on just a little bit, just because like, I just know how this fan base is. Balogun misses a couple chances. We're under pressure. And it's like, oh, my gosh, look what he's doing. He's not good enough. Where's another another striker? But it feels like the club is going in the direction of selling Lacazette and bringing somebody in really quickly. We've been linked with Calvert-Lewin, Alexander Isak, and Andre Silva. If you had to choose a backup, which one of those would you choose? Or would you say, hey, just stick with Lacazette? Go with John first. So, 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 so my, my thing on this now is if, like, for example, I think Alexander Isak is a fantastic striker, but you're only he's only um, a year older than Balogun. Do you know what I mean? So he's obviously blessed that he's had the exposure. You know, Dan talked about, you know, in terms of we're very much a believer in that young players need to play. So but, um, Isak's already played in the Bundesliga. He's already played in La Liga. So he's had that exposure. Um like I've, so it depends on how much you believe in Balogun. Like I'm a heavy believer in him, so I just feel like he, he, he needs games. Now, if you decide that you're going to go and spend, I think Isak's been rumoured to cost about 60 mil. So if you decide to go and spend that, then what incentive does that give to Balogun? Do you know what I mean? Where, where does his pathway then come in? Because if you're assuming that you're going to spend 60 million on a striker, he's going to be the one that's getting the bulk of the minutes right again. So mm-hmm. then Balogun's you know, development is stagnating. So either you, you're at a point now where Dan said that he probably needs to go on loan to play, or he might just see himself as like, well, I don't see myself having any future here because this guy's young enough and he's already more established than me. Do you know what I mean? So how am I going to work my way in here? So it's one, it's, it's a tough one that you, that you have to look at because, you know, when we take the examples of Saka and Smith-Rowe now, I doubt we're going to want to sign anyone to usurp them, maybe sign a competition for them, but not necessarily usurp them because you don't want to that development because at the end of the day they will only get to that level by consistent game time i saw a picture um on twitter the other day of you know um lukaku um hazard salah um the bruyne when they were all at chelsea do you know what i mean so and Mourinho, he only obviously hazard was the only one who played consistently the all the others all left uh but obviously they've all gone on to been stars in their own right but could you imagine like chelsea are lucky that obviously they've got a sugar daddy who who can, you know, they, they don't miss these things. But imagine all these guys were at Arsenal, we didn't give them that chance, and then they went and, you know, smashed it elsewhere. You'd be kicking yourself, wouldn't you? Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's a tough one. It's weighing up how much do you want to develop versus, you know, how much are you ready to, to win now? Because I always remember Wenger talking about, you know, at the end of the day, when you pay a young player, you pay them with the notion that, you know, 
they're probably going to make errors. They're going to be inconsistent, but you're banking on that high ceiling, then reaching that eventually. So it's uh yeah, it's, it's a tough balancing act. Me, I would, I like him a lot and I think he's got a big potential. So I would play him, but I also understand the people that don't want to wait and don't want to deal with those inconsistencies and, and that developmental stage. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? Um, I'd, 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 I'd throw the bag at Isaac, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I think um, that kid's special. Um, he probably has potential to be one of the best strikers um, in the world. Um, after, you know, sort of that Haaland and Mbappe um, echelon, I think he's, he's he's the next rung down in terms of young striker. Um, him, uh, Donya Marlin, uh, looked, looked great. Um, for the Netherlands and um, Vlahovic was someone who I mentioned um, earlier before. I think they're probably, you know, uh, in that in that next rung down. And I think with the likes of Isak, I think this would the next season would probably be his fourth or fifth season playing men's football at age 22. Mm. Um, and that's something that, you know, if you want Balogun to, you, to aspire to, you need to give him the minutes. So, um I, w- I would loan Balogun maybe for the next two seasons, get him playing, get him scoring goals um, elsewhere before he even sees um, any sort of pressure um, in terms of in, in playing for, for for an Arsenal side. And I'd I'd blow the bag on Isak, let him you know compete with Aubameyang for that top striker role, um, and then uh, hopefully next season. Um, you see the, the the best of Aubameyang. You you get this guy used to the Premier League, and then the year after that, um, you're you're good to go. And then you have a, a young and hungry Balogun um, waiting in the wings to to try and contribute as well. That would be the way I would do it. Um, but you know, sixty million euro on on a striker uh, to to compete when you got Balogun and Martinelli and and these young mm. stuff, young young guys there may, may be... Um, not something that the club's willing to do, but you know, if I was playing football manager, that would be what I'd do. One hundred percent. But also, just on that point, like, if, say, if you spend sixty million on euros, like on this, like you said, like he's coming to, you know, provide back. Like he, he's not going to want to sit on the bench for Aubameyang, is he? Do you know what I mean? So, how do you then balance that? Because then, Ooh. are you going to say, "Am I going to fling him in the team?" Exactly. No one wants to see Aubameyang back on the left, and also, are you going to tell? A 350k a week striker to now sit on the bench like week in week out for Isak. So it's 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 a tough balancing act. Like, and I just feel like maybe we're not at that stage yet where we can just be like, all right, cool. We if we had to. Europe, it'd be so different. I, but because I, I we don't, different. it's like, yeah, we're in this really weird position, you know. Yeah. So we'll see what the club does. But I have a feeling we'll have a bombing. We'll have another striker, and Balogun will be sitting there waiting for minutes. Like, I just I don't think we got it. I don't think we have it yet. I don't think we're ready. So, but let's let's move to Madison and Ben White. I want to see what you guys have to say about this. So Ben White looks like it's happening. So um, it looks like something that the club really wants to do. Dan, how do you feel about Ben White? Is he a good replacement for David Luiz? Um, I, I do. I do actually think he's a good replacement for for, for David Luiz. You know. Um, I think I'm just looking at the player himself here. I'm not. I'm not. Talk, I'm not thinking about price tags, right? So um, that's that's a guy that um, I think, ball playing wise, you don't really get that much better 
um, as a centre-back. I think he's very good with the ball um, at his feet. The few times that I've seen him this season, I think that's one thing that I've definitely noted. Um, I think he played defence midfield against Man United when they they played that crazy match when people were scoring after the final whistle um, and whatnot. And I think he, he, he didn't look out of place um, in midfield, I think he played again in midfield against um, Spurs early in the season as well. So um, I don't think he did anything particularly outstanding this year. Um, I would actually say um, I, th- I felt more impressed by Duncan and um, Webster for Brighton. But um, in talking to uh, one of my Leeds friends, who's a massive, massive um, fan of Ben White, really wanted him back at the club and then the Premier League. Um, he thought that under Bielsa, this guy was going straight to the top. Um, you know, so as a player, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that down on on Ben White um, coming in. The reasons why I'm potentially down on the deal um, would be, you know, what it means for my guy um, William Saliba, um, and then also um, the price tag is is a lot. You know, it's it's big, big money. You don't really see centre backs moving for that kind of price unless you know they are top top draw. And um, the the, the centre backs that I think have moved for for that price, I don't think they've been particularly that impressive. You know, um, the English ones that is, you know, so mm-hmm. Stones and Stones and Maguire. You look at um, Wan Bissaka. You look at Ben Chilwell as well that have looked that have all gone for fifty million plus. Um, I don't know if any of them have really pulled up trees um after their signings and i think you know depending on what we what what our budget is how much we have to spend it's haven't a, you it's, heard we have a 250 million dollar war chest haven't you yeah, heard all the all, all of that war, war chest talk you know i've, I've been seeing that for seeing, seeing that since i was in 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 school and, I, and i'm yet to see it come to fruition kind of thing so um so it's, it's definitely a funny one, right? So if if we're getting fifty million pound, if we're spending fifty million pound on a centre back, um, boy, I just there just can't be any excuses for next season, you know. Um, that that says to me we've got big resources to spend, um, mm. or even if we don't have big resources to spend, you're allocating big resources to centre back. So you know, no no excuses. So I, I think he's a good player. Um, I think the price is too much. And I don't like that it probably spends the end of Saliba's career um, at Arsenal. So, you know, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that move, even if I think the player can come in and and add something to our team. Sean, what do you make of the news earlier about Saliba? You know, there was some news from Chris Wheatley saying that, you know, Saliba is um, assessing his options, you know, ahead of, you know, realizing that Arsenal is really serious about getting in Ben White. And then when you read the article, it's it's mostly about Saliba being unhappy about it, wanting to, you know, he doesn't have to sit our bench, right? He could go somewhere and start. He doesn't actually have to sit on our bench. But from an Arsenal perspective, you know, should, I mean, if you're 20 years old and you bring in a 24-year-old, shouldn't it be okay for those two to share time? So I can kind of see both sides, but where do you kind of sit on this? And are you just play Saliba and make it work? Or do you think there is some, something good and positive that could come out of bringing in somebody like Ben White, even if it's expensive. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so first and foremost, I, I agree with Dan. I actually really, really like the player. I actually think he's really, really good. Um, I was arguing with a lot of people in my group chat who sort of disagreed with me about this. I actually rate him quite highly. I'm sure um, you were. There's so many people that were like, Burn White, no. Yeah, no, 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 no he's, he, he's good. But like like Dan said, the, the main issue is what it means for, for Saliba. And I had a... a, a Whenever I talk about Saliba, yeah, I just have a mini meltdown. Like I just do, I do. Like I, I <laughs> love too. the guy. I love the guy too much. And just seeing like how we're treating him, I think it's absolutely abhorrent. Like I think if you were to ask this guy again if he wanted to sign for Arsenal right now, he would probably say no. And I think that's exactly. a real, real indictment on how he's been treated at the club. I feel like you know um, when I see phrases and comments like he's going to be assessed in preseason, I'm thinking to myself, what are you assessing? Do you know what I mean? We bought him in 2019. Like we, we scouted him. He's been sent on loan. He, he's been at Arsenal for two years of a five-year contract as well. What else is there to look at? Either you like the player or you don't like the player. Do you know what I mean? So, and I really hate like the comments when I see, oh, you know, like he, he's 20 years old. How many? But you know, when you look at some of the other guys we've been linked to, like Kunde, Ufa Makano, Delict, or Tapto, they're not much older. He's a young centre-back starting all around Europe. And, you know, one of the things I think that's amazing, seeing what Wesley Fofana is doing has literally made to me that there's no excuse for him not to be playing. Because I feel like, and I've heard um, Tim Stillman say this before, that, you know, I, and I agree with it, I just think experience is very, very overrated. Like, either you're good or you're not good. Like, do you know what I mean? So, you know, people sure. talk about, oh, you know, it's like, oh, we, we're losing David Luiz, we're losing Granite Xhaka. I'm like, OK, cool, but we finished eighth a season after we finished eighth. So for all that supposed experience, it's not that great. Do you know what I mean? So if that's what experience is going to get me, let me see something else, please. Do you know what I mean? So I'd rather yeah. like people are like, oh, um, do you know, I, I would have a lot more time accepting this if our centre-backs currently weren't infallible. Do you know what I mean? I've seen all of them right. make regular mistakes. Do you know what I mean? So holding, I've seen get spun by anybody with any level of any level of athleticism. Mary as well, he's okay, but he's literally just that okay. I've seen Gabriel make mistakes and I really like Gabriel as well. So I'm just kind of like, we're not going to be competing for the title anyway. So why not just invest in this guy, take on like, you know, work around the rough edges. Like so Arteta was um, you know, lauded at City for being supposedly a good coach. Do you know what I mean? Working to improve players. So work to improve players. Like you said, if you were in a business they would be asking you, what have you done with this asset? You're tanking his value. Do you know what I mean? So you have to play him, play him. So I just I just really don't feel like there's, there's any reason for him not to be played. Um, like I, I am slightly biased because I really rate him. Um, yeah. And I just also think whenever I watch him, he just looks good. Like he passes the eye test, he passes the data test. So I don't, I just really don't see what the issue is. Unless there's something personal, like we rankle our heads in the group chat about this every day. We're like, this is this is disgusting. It's making me sick. Like, just play him, play him, play him. And I it just feels want... forced. It feels yeah. like a very forced. Like we're not playing him for a specific reason because you can't really, as much as you want to like rationalize it, it just doesn't make sense. And I was trying to like, okay, well maybe they're going to bring in Ben White and Saliba will play and we'll get rid of holding or something. But the way that he loves holding. Holding ain't going nowhere. He's he's been captaining Arsenal. He ain't going nowhere. You know, he likes a new contract, everything. And then so you have Saliba, somebody who I think backs himself enough to go to any team and start. So it's just a weird situation to be in. But I personally kind of think like it's okay to bring in Ben White. But if you get rid of Saliba, Ben White better hit the ground running. Yeah. Because Saliba will be good wherever he goes. And the last thing Arteta needs is people in the stands going, why did you sell Saliba? Who is this guy, Ben White? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? We just don't really need that. But 
Moving on a little bit to James Madison, I think this one is the most interesting one because he he divides opinion again. You know, there's a lot of people that feel like, well, if we're going to spend 70 million on James Madison, just tack another 30 on there and just get Jack Grealish instead. You know, I personally think that he fills a void that we need. We need a more experienced number 10 in there to split time with Smith Rowe because he's more a little bit injury prone. But Dan, where do you stand on the James Madison and, you know, just from a player standpoint, and then does the deal make sense at 70 million? Um, for me, um, I think James Madison is is one of the best creators in, in, in the Premier League. Um, I don't think there's a long list of players that you can objectively say um, are better number 10s um, than James Madison in the Premier League. Um so I think that's a very short list, you know, um, Kevin De Bruyne, um, Bruno Fernandes, um, Jack Grealish, um, and then, you know, the rest I think is pretty debatable um, if you really want to get into it. So um, I think he's a very, very good player. Um, the stats say that he's a very, very good player. Um, the eye test says he's a very, very good player. I think he's got the most goals from um, direct free kicks um, after... Um, who is it? I think Kevin James De Bruyne. Ward-Prowse. Is it James, James Ward-Prowse? Ward-Prowse? Yeah, with yeah, eight. James Ward-Prowse, yeah, um, eight. You know, so so he's he's good from from set pieces as well, um, and I think he he walks straight into that team. And I think when you're looking at our forward line, um, assuming Lacazette is sold, um, other than Aubameyang, you've got very very young guys in there. You know, you've got Saka, Smith Rowe, um, Martinelli, uh, Balogun. Um, and then Pepe, who is you know twenty, going to be twenty six next season. So I think you need some someone with that experience. Um, I don't think it's wise to go for another young head um, in there. Uh, and you, you need someone who's who's done it all and has a, has a bit of a profile while still having that hunger to to go out and, and win things and achieve things, which I think um, fits fit he fits the bill um, perfectly. Um, and I also think. The way that, you know, we're talking about optics briefly, the way that we look um, in the transfer market is very, very important. Um, you know, yeah. when the Super League news broke, people were like, why are Arsenal there? Why, are, you know, they're not top six anymore. They're not a big team anymore, all of this, that and the other. So I think going out and spending big money on, you know, a, a, a direct rivals um, player who wants to move to us says a lot about the direction that we're moving um, as a club as well. Um, and will be a big um, signpost in that, you know, we are a serious club. We're here to make serious moves. Um, and and I think, um, you know, Madison, from from looking at his interviews, um, seeing the way he talks to the media, he seems like he's got a very, very good head on his shoulders, you know, willing to learn uh, a good student of the game. So I think he'd be a great addition. Um, I, w- I would pay the money. Um, for James Madison. I think that's a statement signing um, that we need. And I don't think, you know, you can do much better um, for that money being paid personally. Sean, is this is this the type of signing that Arsenal need to make to kind of fill that that Mesut Ozil gap? Like, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody similar to him, but somebody who can step in and, and wear that number 10 and kind of lead us forward. You know, somebody that will get even somebody like a bombing happy. I, like, I know that that's not what we should be aiming for. But if you have a world-class finisher in a bombing, I'm sure he can even get behind bringing in a James Madison to help feed him the ball. Isn't that important for him too? I, I, I feel like um, this would be 
as good a signing as we could probably make on the market. You know, it's not even like too long ago, probably a year ago, there were people that were saying he was better than, you know, Jack Grealish. So he's had a bit of a, a down year, you know, he's had a bit of a hip injury, so he's fallen off a bit. But part of the reason I never considered James Madison was just because I never thought he was gonna, ever going to be on the market. So the fact that we might have a chance to get him, I think we should be chucking everything, do you know what I mean? So it would be a statement signing English 24 um, you know, creative, can shoot off both feet, can create his own chances. Um, and it was interesting, you mentioned Obadair as well, you know, you know, we talk about having an, an aging striker like he has with Vardy. He had a very good relate. He has got a very good relationship with Vardy as well. So, you know, Fred's those sort of through balls in behind that Aubameyang likes as well. So I think he ticks a lot, a lot of boxes. And I feel like one of the things I do like about him, he's a number 10 that shoots a lot um as well and i feel like you know sometimes arteta's approach can be quite rigid so you know sometimes we need guys to be able to conjure up a bit of magic themselves as well and i think he has i like that little bit of arrogance he has about him i was i read i was there was um an instagram like interview we did with Henri as well and Henri was like i like your personality never lose that as well and i really like he has a bit of a swagger about him and when i think of like iconic arsenal number 10s like burkamp um you know van Persie. Um, obviously Fabregas wasn't a 10, but he played at, he played at 10. Sorry, he wasn't number 10, but he played at, he played as the 10. Um, Ozil, yeah, I feel like he would really, really fit the bill. Um, and, and I'm quite surprised that people are quite down on him. I know statistically he's he's dropped off a bit, but when he's played for Leicester, he's played a bit deeper this year. Whereas before, if you check his stats from previous seasons, he's played a bit higher up as, as a 10. So, and like, you know, when you talk about someone who gets in the pockets, who gets on the ball, um, he's very, very ball dominant. I So for me, it's, it's a no-brainer. I would absolutely love him. It would be my number one choice. And if you could pull it off, I think that would be a real, you know, when Dan talks about statement that, you know, we finished behind Leicester for however many seasons it is in a row now to, to, now, to now go and take, you know, one of their best players. It would it would be, it would put out a real feeler to, you know, look, we're here, we're, we're, we're coming back. So I, I feel like, yeah, um, if we can get that one done, definitely do it. So 100%. This was the link that made me like super excited. I was like, please let this be real. Like there's no way that we could get James Madison. Like this would be perfect. And to be honest, like if we're looking to build packages to show Brighton to try to get it done, there's a chance that he wants to come. You don't start talking to the clubs and start putting together a package if you don't think the player is going to come because that's a waste of your time. So, you know, beyond the whole, why would he come to Arsenal? I've said this, I probably on multiple podcasts have given very good reasons, solid arguments why players still want to come to Arsenal. I think that's something that we allow rival fans to say, and then we start regurgitating it and making it a reality. It's not true. Players just don't want to come. And I think if you have a midfield of Thomas Party, James Madison, and, and a Eves Basuma, we're now we're talking like big, big boy football. Like we can enter the room and like say it with our chest, we're here, you know. Because before it's like when you're playing with you know kids plus Shaka plus Thomas Party who's broken down and, and injured, you know, it's not the same, you know. And I think our better players deserve to play, play with better players, and our younger players need people to play with. And so it makes sense to me. I'm glad you guys agree because it's been difficult in the Madison Wars in the last couple of days. Like, I cannot believe how many people are like, no, to this move. And I'm like, I think this is what we should be doing. But let's end it here. We've spoken all England the entire time, you know, but with some Arsenal mixed in there and some Euros mixed in there as well. So I think we did a good job. But Dan slash Sean, can you let people know where to find you on the internet and where they can listen to Touchy Gooners at? 
Um, yeah, make sure you follow um, Touchy Gooners uh, on Twitter. Um, we're always putting up our content to our podcast, um, which we will be recording tomorrow and out on Thursday. Um, we just did a, a patron piece for uh, Lokonga, did a scouting review um, of him because that's a signing that looks like it's going to be likely. Um, so make sure you, you go and sign up to that. Um, and follow uh, Touchline Fracas, um, which is the main podcast um, on on Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to the YouTube where we put up all of our um, podcast clips as well. So, yeah. Hey, Sean, do you want them to find find you on the internet? Where can they? Oh yeah, see? yeah. Sorry, yeah. So as as Dan said, I'm, I'm the Touchy Gooners. But if you want to follow me, um, it's yeah at SV carboholic um it it was at sv and dombele before but everyone used to think that i supported tottenham um so i had to sort of change so i had to, had to change that name so yeah <laughs> um not a spurs fan was just a fan of the player but yeah so um yeah sv carboholic on twitter if you want to find me perfect so thank you guys so much for being on with me i really appreciate it this has been so much fun every single time I, I do a podcast with you guys no matter who shows up it's it's so much fun so thank you so much and you guys, for the people in the chat box, thank you so much for, for showing up. I really appreciate it. Like the video, subscribe to the channel. Tomorrow, I'll be back at some point. You know, I usually tell you guys randomly on Twitter. I can never remember off the top of my head because I'm not organized like that for some reason. So forgive me. But yeah, make sure you guys like the video and subscribe to the channel. And I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye, guys.